Section 28 of Jurisprudence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Jurisprudence by John Salmond. Chapter 18 Intention and Negligence. Part 2. Section 140 Negligence. We have considered the first of the three classes into which injuries are divisible namely those which are intentional or willful, and we now have to deal with the second, namely wrongs of negligence. The term negligence has two uses, for it signifies sometimes a particular state of mind and at other times conduct resulting therefrom. In the former or subjective sense, negligence is opposed to wrongful intention, these being the two forms assumed by that mens rea which is a condition of penal responsibility. In the latter or objective sense, it is opposed not to wrongful intention, but to intentional wrongdoing. A similar double signification is observable in other words. Cruelty, for example, means subjectively a certain disposition, and objectively conduct resulting from it. The ambiguity can scarcely lead to any confusion, for the two forms of negligence are necessarily coincident. Objective negligence is merely subjective negligence realized in conduct and subjective negligence is of no account in the law, until and unless it is manifested in act. We shall commonly use the term in the subjective sense, and shall speak objectively not of negligence, but of negligent conduct or negligent wrongdoing. Negligence is culpable carelessness. It is, says Willis, J., the absence of such care as it was the duty of defendant to use. What then is meant by carelessness? It is clear in the first place that it excuses wrongful intention. These are two contrasted and mutually inconsistent mental attitudes of a person towards his act and their consequences. No result which is due to carelessness can have also been intended. Nothing which was intended can have been due to carelessness. It is to be observed in the second place that carelessness or negligence does not necessarily consist in thoughtlessness or inadvertence. This is doubtless the commonest form of it, but it is not the only form. If I do harm, not because I intended it, but because I was thoughtless, and did not advert to the dangerous nature of my act, or foolishly believed that there was no danger, I am certainly guilty of negligence." but there is another form of negligence in which there is no thoughtlessness or inadvertence whatever. If I drive furiously down a crowded street, I may be fully conscious of the serious risk to which I expose other persons. I may not intend to injure any of them, but I knowingly and intentionally expose them to the danger. Yet if a fatal accident happens, I am liable, at the most, not for willful, but for negligent homicide." When I consciously expose another to the risk of wrongful harm, but without any wish to harm him, and harm actually ensues, it is inflicted not willfully, since it was not desired, nor inadvertently, since it was foreseen as possible, or even probable, but nevertheless negligently. If, then, negligence or carelessness is not to be identified with thoughtlessness or inadvertence, what is its essential nature? The correct answer seems to be that a careless person is a person who does not care. The essence of negligence is not inadvertence, but indifference. 
indifference is exceedingly apt to produce thoughtlessness or inadvertence but it is not the same thing and may exist without it as we have seen from the example already given if i am careless that is to say indifferent as to the result of my conduct i shall very probably fail to acquire adequate foresight and consciousness of them but i may on the contrary make a very accurate estimate of them and yet remain equally indifferent with respect to them and therefore equally negligent negligence therefore essentially consists in the mental attitude of undue indifference with respect to one's conduct and its consequences this being so the distinction between intention and negligence becomes clear the willful wrongdoer desires the harmful consequences and therefore does the act in order that they may ensue the negligent wrongdoer is careless if not wholly yet unduly whether they ensue or not and therefore does the act notwithstanding the risk that they may ensue the willful wrongdoer is liable because he desires to do the harm the negligent wrongdoer is liable because he does not sufficiently desire to avoid it he who will excuse himself on the ground that he meant no evil is still open to the reply perhaps you did not but at all events you might have avoided it if you had sufficiently desired to do so and you are held liable not because you desired the mischief but because you were careless and indifferent whether it ensued or not negligence as so defined is rightly treated as a form of mens rea standing side by side with wrongful intention as a formal ground of responsibility for these are the two mental attitudes which alone justify the discipline of penal justice the law may rightly punish willful wrongdoing because since the wrongdoer desired the outcome of his act punishment will supply him for the future with a good reason for desiring the opposite so also the law may justly punish negligent wrongdoing for since the wrongdoer is careless as to the interests of others punishment will cure this defect by making those interests for the future coincident with his own in no other case than these two can punishment be effective and therefore in no other case is it justifiable so far as abstract theory is concerned every man is exempt from penal responsibility who can truly say the harm which i have done is not the outcome of any desire of mine to do it neither does it proceed from any carelessness or indifference as to my acts and the result of them i did not mean it neither could i have avoided it by care it follows from the foregoing analysis that negligence is of two kinds according as it is or is not accompanied by inadvertence inadvertent negligence is commonly termed willful negligence or recklessness inadvertent negligence may be distinguished as simple in the former the harm done is foreseen as possible or probable but it is not willed in the latter it is neither foreseen nor willed in each case carelessness that is to say indifference as to consequences is present but in the former case this indifference does not while in the latter it does prevent those consequences from being foreseen the physician who treats a patient improperly through ignorance or forgetfulness is guilty of simple or inadvertent negligence but if he does the same in order to save himself trouble or by way of a scientific experiment with full recognition of the dangers so incurred his negligence is willful this distinction is of little practical importance but demands recognition here partly because of the false opinion that all negligence is inadvertent and partly because of the puzzling nature of the expression willful negligence in view of the fundamental opposition between intention and negligence this expression looks at first sight self-contradictory but it is not so 
he who does a dangerous act well knowing that he is exposing others to a serious risk of injury and thereby causes a fatal accident is guilty of negligent not of willful homicide but the negligence is willful though the homicide is not he is not merely negligent but consciously willfully and intentionally negligent for he knows at the time the true nature of the act which he is doing it is intentional with respect to the fact that his mental attitude towards the consequences is one of culpable indifference section 141 objection considered by way of objection to the foregoing analysis it may be said it is not true that in all cases negligence amounts to carelessness in the sense of indifference a drunken man is liable for negligence if he stumbles as he walks along the street and breaks a shop window but he may have been exceedingly anxious to walk in a straight line and to avoid any such accident he may have been conscientiously using his best endeavors but they will not serve to justify him on a charge of negligence so an unskilled physician may devote to the treatment and cure of his patient an amount of anxious attention and strenuous endeavor far in excess of that which one more skillful would consider necessary yet if his treatment is wrong he is guilty of negligence the answer to this objection is that in these and all similar cases carelessness in the case of indifference is really present though it is remote instead of immediate the drunken man may be anxious and careful now not to break the other person's windows but if he had been sufficiently anxious and careful on the point some time ago he would have remained sober and the accident would not have happened so with the unskillful physician it is a settled principle of law that want of skill or of professional competence amounts to negligence impericia culpe ad numerator he who will exercise any trade or profession must bring to the exercise of it such a measure of skill and knowledge as will suffice for reasonable efficiency and he who has less than this practices at his own risk the ignorant physician who kills his patient or the unskillful blacksmith who lames the horse shod by him is legally responsible not because he is ignorant or unskillful for skill and knowledge may be beyond his reach but because being unskillful or ignorant he ventures to undertake a business which calls for qualities which he does not possess no man is bound in law to be a good surgeon or a capable attorney but all men are bound not to act as surgeons or attorneys until and unless they are good and capable as such the unskillful physician therefore is liable not because he is now careless of the health of his patient but because he was formerly careless in undertaking work calling for greater skill than he possessed if he then knew that he had not the requisite skill his carelessness is obvious possibly however he believed himself to be sufficiently qualified in this case we must go one step further back in the search for that mental attitude of indifference which is the essential element in all cases of negligence he was careless in forming his beliefs he formed them without that anxious consideration which the law requires from those who form beliefs on which they act to the injury of others a man may be called upon by the law to answer to-day for the carelessness with which he formed an opinion years ago section one hundred and forty two the standard of care carelessness is not culpable or a ground of legal liability save in those cases in which the law has imposed a duty of carefulness in all other cases complete indifference as to the interests of others is allowable no general principle can be laid down however with regard to the existence of this duty 
for this is a matter pertaining to the details of the concrete legal system and not to abstract theory carelessness is lawful or unlawful as the law sees fit to provide in the criminal law liability for negligence is quite exceptional speaking generally crimes are willful wrongs the alternative form of mens rea being deemed an insufficient ground for the rigor of criminal justice this however is not invariably the case negligent homicide for example being a criminal offence in the civil law on the other hand no such distinction is commonly drawn between the two forms of mens rea in general we may say that whenever an act would be a civil wrong if done intentionally it is also a civil wrong if done negligently when there is a legal duty not to do a thing on purpose there is commonly a legal duty to take care not to do it accidentally to this rule however there are certain exceptions instances in which wrongful intent is the necessary basis even of civil liability in these cases a person is civilly responsible for doing harm willfully but is not bound to take any care not to do it he must not for example deceive another by any willful falsehood but unless there is some special ground of obligation in the case he is not answerable for false statements which he honestly believes to be true however negligent he may be in making them other instances of the same sort are based upon the express or implied agreement or understanding of the persons concerned thus a gratuitous lender of chattel is bound to disclose any dangerous defects which he actually knows of but is not bound to take any care whatever to see that it is safe or to discover and disclose defects of which he is ignorant for he who borrows a thing gratuitously agrees impliedly to take it as it is and to run all risks but he who hires a thing for money is entitled to the exercise of due care for his safety on the part of the owner carelessness may exist in any degree and in this respect it differs from the other form of mens rea intention either exists or it does not there can be no question of the degree in which it is present the degree of carelessness varies directly with the risk to which the other persons are exposed by the act in question he is careless who without intending evil nevertheless exposes others to the danger of it and the greater the danger the greater the carelessness the risk depends in its turn on two things first the magnitude of the threatened evil and second the probability of it the greater the evil is and the nearer it is the greater is the indifference or carelessness of him who creates the danger inasmuch therefore as carelessness varies in degree it is necessary to know what degree of it is requisite to constitute culpable negligence what measure of care does the law demand what amount of anxious consideration for the interests of others is a legal duty and within what limits is indifference lawful we have first to notice a possible standard of care which the law might have adopted but has not it does not demand the highest degree of care of which human nature is capable i am not liable for harm ignorantly done by me merely because by some conceivable exercise of prudential foresight i might have anticipated the event and so avoided it nor am i liable because knowing the possibility of harm i fail to take every possible precaution against it the law demands not that which is possible but that which is reasonable in view of the magnitude of the risk were men to act on any other principle than this excess of caution would paralyze the business world the law therefore allows every man to expose his fellows to a certain measure of risk and to do so even with full knowledge 
if an explosion occurs in my powder mill i am not liable for negligence even though i established and carried on the industry with full knowledge of its dangerous character this is a degree of indifference to the safety of other men's lives and property which the law deems permissible because not excessive inasmuch as the carrying of firearms and the driving of horses are known to be the occasions of frequent harm extreme care and the most scrupulous anxiety as to the interests of others would prompt a man to abstain from these dangerous forms of activities yet it is expedient in the public interest that those activities should go on and therefore that men should be exposed to the incidental risks of them consequently the law does not insist on any standard of care which would include them within the limits of culpable negligence it is for the law to draw the line as best as it can so that while prohibiting unreasonable carelessness it does not at the same time demand unreasonable care what standard then does the law actually adopt it demands the amount of care which would be shown in the circumstances of the particular case by an ordinarily careful man it is content to adopt the standard which is customary for the time being in the community it is satisfied with conduct which in point of carefulness conforms to the moral standard and the ordinary practice of mankind less than this is not sufficient and more than this is not required a jury in determining the question of negligence will decide whether in their opinion the defendant acted with reasonable care and in so doing they represent and express the current opinion and practice of the community as to the risks to which one man is justified in exposing others and as to the degree of consideration for the welfare of others which the community exacts and commonly receives from its members the standard thus adopted by the law is of necessity somewhat vague and indeterminate it is not practicable to any great extent to lay down any more definite and detailed rules as to what classes of acts are negligent and what are not too much depends upon the circumstances of the individual case and the standard of due care is too liable to alter with the advance of knowledge and the changes of social life and manners risks which were once deemed excessive may become permissible in view of the increasing stress and hurry of modern life and conversely conduct which to-day is beyond reproach may in the future become grossly negligent by reason of the growth of skill or knowledge nevertheless here as elsewhere the law seeks for definite and specific principles it dislikes the license of the arbitrium judicius so far as practicable and justifiable it desires to make negligence a matter not of fact but of legal rule and definition it seeks to supersede the vague principle that it is negligence which a jury considers such by substituting for it a body of legal doctrine determining the boundaries of negligence in special instances this however is possible only to a very limited extent it would seem indeed that all legal rules on this matter are merely negative determining what does not amount to negligence and never positive determining that certain acts are negligent in law it has been decided as a matter of law for example that it is not negligent to drive cattle through the streets of a town loose instead of leading them with halters nor is it negligent to allow a dog to run at large if the owner has no actual knowledge of its vicious temper nor is it negligent to try a horse for the first time in a frequented thoroughfare nor is there any negligence in the usual practice of railway servants in violently shutting the doors of railway carriages without warning notwithstanding the risk of injury to the hands of passengers as has been already indicated there seem to be no corresponding rules to the effect that certain kinds of conduct are negligent in law 
the law never goes further in this direction than to say that certain facts are sufficient evidence of negligence that is to say are sufficient to entitle a jury to find negligence as a matter of fact if they think fit the reason for this cautious attitude of the law is obvious no facts can be such cogent proof of negligence that the law may safely and wisely take them as conclusive for they may be capable of explanation by other facts and that which is apparently due to the most culpable negligence may be due in reality to inevitable mistake or accident thus the law does not contain any rule to the effect that driving on the wrong side of the road amounts to negligence the rule is merely that such conduct is evidence of negligence nor is the act of leaving a horse and cart unattended in the street an act of negligence in law it is merely one from which a jury is at liberty to infer negligence in fact section one hundred and forty three degrees of negligence we have said that english law recognizes only one standard of care and therefore only one degree of negligence whenever a person is under a duty to take any care at all he is bound to take that amount of it which is deemed reasonable under the circumstances having regard to the ordinary practice of mankind and the absence of this care is culpable negligence although this is probably a correct statement of english law attempts have been made to establish two or even three distinct standards of care and degrees of negligence some authorities for example distinguish between gross negligence culpa lata and slight negligence culpa levis holding that a person is sometimes liable for the former only and at other times even for the latter in some cases we find even a threefold distinction maintained negligence being either gross ordinary or slight these distinctions are based partly upon roman law and partly upon a misunderstanding of it and notwithstanding some judicial dicta to the contrary we may say with some confidence that no such doctrine is known to the law of england the distinctions so drawn are hopelessly indeterminate and impracticable on what principle are we to draw the line between gross negligence and slight how can we thus elevate a distinction of degree into one of kind even were it possible to establish two or more standards there seems no reason of justice or expediency for doing so the single standard of english law is sufficient for all cases why should any man be required to show more care than is reasonable under the circumstances or excused if he shows less in connection with this alleged distinction between gross and slight negligence it is necessary to consider the celebrated doctrine of roman law to the effect that the former culpa lata is equivalent to wrongful intention dolus a principle which receives occasional expression and recognition in english law also magna culpa dolus est said the romans in its literal interpretation indeed this is untrue for we have already seen that the two forms of mens rea are wholly inconsistent with each other and that no degree of carelessness can amount to design or purpose yet the proposition though inaccurately expressed has a true signification although real negligence however gross cannot amount to intention alleged negligence may alleged negligence which if real would be exceedingly gross is probably not negligence at all but wrongful purpose its grossness raises a presumption against its reality for we have seen that carelessness is measured by the magnitude and imminence of the threatened mischief now the greater and more imminent the mischief the more probable is it that it is intended genuine indifference and carelessness is very unusual and unlikely in extreme cases 
men are often enough indifferent as to remote or unimportant dangers to which they expose others but serious risks are commonly avoided by care unless the mischief is desired and intended the probability of a result tends to prove intention and therefore to disprove negligence if a newborn child is left to die from want of medical attention or nursing it may be that its death is due to negligence only but it is more probable that it is due to wrongful purpose and malice aforethought he who strikes another on the head with an iron bar may have only meant to wound or stun and not to kill him but the probabilities are the other way every man is presumed to intend the natural and probable consequences of his acts and the more natural and probable the consequences the greater the strength of the presumption in certain cases this presumption of intent has hardened into a positive rule of law and has become irrebuttable in those cases that which is negligence in fact may be deemed wrongful intent in the law it is constructive though not actual intent the law of homicide supplies us with an illustration murder is wilful homicide and manslaughter is negligent homicide but the boundary line as drawn by the law is not fully coincident with that which exists in fact much that is merely negligent in fact is treated as wilful homicide in law an intent to cause grievous bodily harm is imputed as an intent to kill if death ensues and an act done with knowledge that it will probably cause death is in law an act done with intent to cause it the justification of such conclusive presumptions of intent is twofold in the first place as already indicated very gross negligence is probably in truth not negligence at all but wrongful purpose and in the second place even if it is truly negligence yet by reason of its grossness it is as bad as intent in point of moral deserts and therefore may justly be treated and punished as if it were intent the law accordingly will sometimes say to a defendant perhaps as you allege you were merely negligent and had no actual wrongful purpose nevertheless you will be dealt with just as if you had and it will be conclusively presumed against you that your act was wilful for your deserts are no better than if you had in truth intended the mischief which you have so recklessly caused moreover it is exceedingly probable notwithstanding your disclaimer that you did intend it therefore no endeavour will be made on your behalf to discover whether you did or not section one hundred and forty four other theories of negligence the analysis of the conception of negligence is a matter of some considerable difficulty and it is advisable to take account of certain theories which differ more or less seriously from that which has here been accepted by us it is held by some that negligence consists essentially in inadvertence it consists that is to say in a failure to be alert circumspect or vigilant whereby the true nature circumstances and consequences of a man's acts are prevented from being present in his consciousness the wilful wrongdoer is he who knows that his act is wrong the negligent wrongdoer is he who does not know it but would have known it were it not for his mental indolence this explanation contains an important element of the truth but it is inadequate for in the first place as has been already pointed out all negligence is not inadvertent there is such a thing as wilful or advertent negligence in which the wrongdoer knows perfectly well the true nature circumstances and probable consequences of his act he foresees those consequences and yet does not intend them and therefore cannot be charged with wilful wrongdoing in respect of them his mental attitude with regard to them is not intention 
but a genuine form of negligence of which the theory of inadvertence can give no explanation in the second place all inadvertence is not negligence a failure to appreciate the nature of one's act and to foresee its consequences is not in itself culpable it is no ground of responsibility unless it is due to carelessness in the sense of undue indifference he who is ignorant or forgetful notwithstanding a genuine desire to attain knowledge or remembrance is not negligent the signalman who sleeps at his post is negligent not because he falls asleep but because he is not sufficiently anxious to remain awake if his sleep is the unavoidable result of illness or excessive labor he is free from blame the essence of negligence therefore is not inadvertence which may or may not be due to carelessness but carelessness which may or may not result in inadvertence it may be suggested in defense of the theory of inadvertence that there are in reality three forms of the mens rea and not two only namely one intention when the consequences are foreseen and intended two recklessness when they are foreseen but not intended and three negligence when they are neither foreseen nor intended the law however rightly classes the second and third of these together under the head of negligence for they are identical in their essential nature each of them being blameworthy only so far as it is the outcome of carelessness we have now to consider another explanation which may be termed the objective theory of negligence it is held by some that negligence is not a subjective but an objective fact it is not a particular state of mind or form of the mens rea at all but a particular kind of conduct it is a breach of the duty of taking care and to take care means to take precautions against the harmful results of one's actions and to refrain from unreasonably dangerous kinds of conduct to drive at night without lights is negligence because to carry lights is a precaution taken by all reasonable and prudent men for the avoidance of accidents to take care therefore is no more a mental attitude or state of mind than to take cold is this however is not a correct analysis carelessness may result in a failure to take necessary precautions or to refrain from dangerous activities but it is not the same thing just as it may result in inadvertence but is not the same thing the neglect of needful precautions or the doing of unreasonably dangerous acts is not necessarily wrongful at all for it may be due to inevitable mistake or accident and on the other hand even when it is wrongful it may be wilful instead of negligent a trap-door may be left unbolted in order that one's enemy may fall through it and so die poison may be left unlabeled with the intent that someone may drink it by mistake a ship captain may wilfully cast away his ship by the neglect of the ordinary rules of good seamanship a father who neglects to provide medicine for his sick child may be guilty of wilful murder rather than of mere negligence in none of these cases nor indeed in any others can we distinguish between intentional and negligent wrongdoing save by looking into the mind of the offender and observing his subjective attitude towards his act and its consequences externally and objectively the two classes of offenses are indistinguishable negligence is the opposite of wrongful intention and since the latter is a subjective fact the former must be such also summary the nature of intention foresight accompanied by desire intention distinguished from expectation intended consequences not always expected expected consequences not always intended 
intention extends to the means and necessary concomitants as well as to the end intention is divided into immediate and ulterior motive malice wrongful intention ambiguity of the term malice which relates either to the immediate or remote intention concurrent motives the irrelevance of motives in law exceptions to this principle the theory of criminal attempts the four stages of a completed crime intention preparation attempt completion distinction between preparation and attempt attempts by impossible means the jus necessitatis its theory its partial allowance in practice the nature of negligence subjective and objective uses of the term negligence and intention opposed and inconsistent negligence not necessarily inadvertence negligence essentially indifference negligence and intention the two alternate grounds of penal liability negligence is divided into willful or advertent simple or inadvertent negligence immediate and remote negligence and want of skill the duty of carefulness the necessary basis of liability for negligence when it exists in the criminal and civil law the standard of care not the highest possible that of the ordinarily careful man negligence in law and in fact degrees of negligence distinction between gross and slight negligence not recognized by english law culpa lata dolus est significance of this proposition negligence and constructive intent criticism of other theories of negligence one that negligence is inadvertence two the objective theory End of section 28